0: May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. John Ortberg once told me this story. On an overcast day in Florida in the late winter of 2013, A man whose family had lived in the same home for generations suddenly lost his life when a sinkhole opened up beneath the home's foundation causing the floor to collapse and simply swallow up the house. Experts say that in parts of Florida, the limestone that lies beneath the earth's surface is slowly being dissolved by acidic rainwater. When enough rock is eaten away, the void simply collapses under the weight of what an inadequate foundation can no longer support. The author Gordon MacDonald once wrote about how what he called the sinkhole syndrome happens in human life. It may be triggered by a failure at work or a severed relationship. Harsh criticism from a parent, or for no apparent reason at all, but it feels like the Earth has given away. It turns out MacDonald wrote that in a sense, we have two worlds to manage: an outer world of career and possessions and social networks, and an inner world that is more spiritual in nature, where values are selected and character is formed, a place where worship and confession and humility can be practiced. Because our outer world is visible and measurable and expendable, it's definitely easier to deal with. They demand our attention. The result is, though, that our private world is often cheated, neglected, because it doesn't shout out quite so loudly. It can be effectively ignored for a long time before it gives way to a sinkhole-like cave-in. The sinkhole, says McDonald, is the picture of spiritual vulnerability in our day. Spiritual vulnerability. Vulnerability. In the early winter of 2016, my guess is that many of us are feeling a heightened sense of spiritual vulnerability. We just commemorated Thanksgiving a week and a half ago. Some people love it, some people find it really stressful. And then this past week, we remembered our beloved whom we lost by commemorating and honoring World AIDS Day this past week. And we also, at this time of year, we live into our reality of a hyper-aware and overly assertive, ready or not, here it comes, holiday season. In some ways, this is the norm in December. And many of us strive for perfection in all things related to the holidays. Decorations. Food, gifts, the perfect friendships, the perfect marriages, the perfect Christmas cards. The list can go on and on. And sometimes the harder that we try to make all of this perfect, our souls give way to a sense of sadness or depression or downright despondency. We try and try And try. And so when we try harder now at this time of year, it makes it even more difficult. At times, we experience a cave-in of sorts, of our own aspirations. The people in Isaiah's prophecy thought that they had tried hard their entire lives to build up their society, their family, their friends, their livelihoods. But as our passage is being proclaimed, the Assyrians from the north were coming down to invade Judah, headed right towards that holy mountain, that city up on the hill, Jerusalem. The people in Isaiah's prop- prophecy, they tried to do rituals to please God. They tried to live justly, but the reality was that the people's attention really wasn't on God. They're mainly, they were mainly focused on themselves, or trying to enact some form of perfectionism. But they weren't focused. The people at the time were not focused on God. Their focus was elsewhere. And so their hope that they had of surviving any kind of attack from their northern invaders was waning. And the people instead continued to give way to things like blame, to fear, to loss, to separation. But Isaiah tells us in this reading that God never has any plans to give up on the people of God. Never. Not now. Not ever. In fact, Isaiah tells us that the people that God is actually going to work in new and powerful ways, taking origin in the line of Jesse, taking root in a dynasty that has been shut down by the powers of the world. Taking hold from something that was great, but at the time previously thought to be completely defunct, and building up the people of God in a new way that has never been seen before on the face of the earth. Okay. Fast forward now to the first century, to the desert, to John the Baptist proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The prophecy from Isaiah of old continues to take on stronger momentum. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. We can only imagine how striking a figure John has to have been. Wearing clothes of camel's hair and eating Locusts and wild honey, those kind of details only come up in the Bible when the author, for some reason, thinks they're really important to pay attention to. That strange man in the middle of nowhere is calling us to repent and return to the Lord because the power of God's glory was soon to be revealed. It it makes you wonder, though, if John was viewed by many of those spectators as another crazy man, predicting the overthrow of the world's order, a man to watch, or maybe even a man to be entertained by, or maybe even one to mock. John eventually calls his spectators a brood of vipers, creatures that lurk. Creatures that lash out to others because of their own sense of fear, their own sense of their need for survival, their own sense of vulnerability, spiritual vulnerability. But just like the people in Isaiah's prophecy, John says that God isn't giving up on these brood of vipers either. Even to these who are dwelling in maybe positions of Moral authority, but moral authority that's collapsing, or they're acting out because of their sense of perfectionism, or they're acting out because they have despair or some kind of oppression. John tells them bear fruit worthy of repentance, because one who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. With the Holy Spirit and with fire. What kind of fire? We always go to the negative when we talk about fire, which is totally explainable in this congregation because you had a fire here 15 years ago. Going to the negative, a destructive fire, one that destroys. But in the Bible, fire sometimes has other purposes. It protects the Israelites from the Egyptians as a pillar of fire to shield them from their captors. It gives them warmth when they're wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Fire serves as a medium for sacrifice, to appeal to God's abundant sense of forgiveness, which is why we light fire in the candles at the altar. In the New Testament, fire is a transformation agent. The epistle of James equates our words, what we speak, from our tongues as fire. That is, they are something that have great power. And even the letter to the Hebrews, with all that it says, tells us that angels and servants of God will be flames of fire. That the fervor of God's love itself, that the fervor of God's love is a consuming fire. So for today, If what John is telling us is that the one coming after him, the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit, and a fire of love that knows no limit. What would that mean for us? A fire of love that has no limit. What would that kind of warmth and power and transformation do for our psyches at this busy time of year? how would that empower our spiritual vulnerabilities and have us emerge out of our spiritual sinkholes and call us into a life of drawing nearer to God? The prophecies of Isaiah tell us a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse. New life is going to emerge among us from that which we thought there was no hope at all. God will be doing something revolutionary. Now, I know we hear these messages year in and year out. But these prophecies and new prophecies are being revealed to us right here all the time, every day. Over the past two weeks, I've heard stories from people like you, from people sitting right here in the pews, stories of healing of being released from the fear of illness i've been hearing stories of people mending relationships with family members that have been literally broken for decades and now they're they're on the mend i've seen evidence of new life and your fervor for new ministries, for taking new things on, for new forms of prayer, for new ways to live, for new connections that people are making with one another, for the generosity, the generosity that you have offered our church in our stewardship campaign for 2017. Generosity for new bridges of peace, to build bridges in your community, new commitments of this. And I've seen you, the people of this church, recommit your hearts to each other, to the saving work of Jesus in the world, and to reaching out to people beyond your comfort zone to establish a new world order, a new way to live, a new way to be Christ's hands and heart in the world. You're doing this. The prophecies from Isaiah continue through you, The wilderness proclamations of John the Baptist are being taken on now by you. You're doing this, but Advent calls us to go further. We're called in Advent to find those who are living in the caved-in places of life. We're called to reach out our hand in love to those who feel like they've been swallowed up by a sinkhole. We're called to identify, to identify those brood of vipers lurking around us. We're called to identify the brood of vipers lurking around us. And like John the Baptist, we're called to give them confidence that they too can bear fruit worthy of repentance. God has not given up on them and neither should we. The fire of God's love is being kindled to bring goodness and light. The fire of God's mercy is bringing warmth and protection and guidance. And the fire of God's creativity is charging us with replacing our own perfectionism And instead, immersing ourselves into a powerful fire of love. To be transformed in a community where worship and humility and confession can be practiced. Where we seek transformation also in fellowship and service. To emerge as a shining light for the people of Phoenix and the world. Advent is calling us to be a part of God's new creation, the one that's created from something that was previously thought of as defunct, a tree stump, an old tree stump. God's calling us to fill in those voids of despair in the world and offer our neighbors in the pews, in our workplaces, and in our worlds abundant restoration A supportive and solid foundation, and a fiery love that never ends. How do you kindle the fire of God's love in your world?